So welcome back, everyone. I'll do this again. Welcome back. And if it's uh, if it works for you to have your video on, it's nice for me to see people as I'm uh, uh, talking. Great to see a lot of uh, familiar faces. So I was wondering in the last few days whether I would uh, continue with the theme that we've been exploring, I think, uh, three times so far, which is the theme of doing and not doing in meditation and in daily life. And I thought I might go to another theme uh, for today, but this theme has energy and was insistent. I didn't get the message that I, the last time when I was wondering whether I would continue, I actually had a dream that I interpreted very strongly as telling me, continue with this theme. But I didn't have that happen, but I, I felt the energy that there was more to explore. And so what I want to do is, is quite briefly review some of what we've covered, take us into more depth on the mature integration of doing and not doing, and in a sense pointing to what I've uh, spoken about earlier as having our doing come out of a, of a, of a non-doing, which is a theme that one can find in multiple traditions. And I'll explain that more fully for those who are here for the first time. And I want, so I want to um, go especially into that territory in a talk and then leave about, um, I'm going to leave at least about 20 minutes or so for a guided meditation that'll continue on the basis of what we've just explored in the uh, guided meditation earlier, will take us further into exploring some of this territory. And then we'll have time for a discussion. So that's why I wanted to uh, have just a little more time for the, the mix of, uh, of talk and and what comes after. So, brief review. Uh, we've explored, uh, and now in our meditations as well as in our uh, in the talks, we've explored the, the, the importance of doing and also the importance of not doing. And we can see in our meditation and in daily life that skillful doing, skillful effort, is crucial to, in meditation, keep on returning when we get distracted, involves a kind of doing. It involves the naming, I'm off. It involves the connecting with our primary focus, which might be the breath or might be, again, sensations or, or sound. Um, that wise effort is this very central part of the Eightfold Path. How, do, how can I be skillful in effort in meditation, in daily life? Clearly, uh, skillful action is very, very crucial in our lives and in the world to, uh, to respond to problems, to respond to difficulties, to respond to injustice, uh, very, very crucial. And yet we also could see 
And we've explored this um, in the guided meditation just a while ago, how a kind of not doing is very, very crucial as well. How, and I was calling that receptivity, that there is a way that I can be receptive to, in meditation, to sensations, to thoughts, not try to control everything, to really have the uh, way that I let go of a certain kind of doing and just am open to experience occurring. I can be open to uh, difficult sensations when they're not pleasant in the body, when I don't want them to be there. That takes a certain amount of receptivity and letting go. I can be open to uh, anger, maybe, as it's coming through, and experience that, rather than uh, try to control things or try to... um, try to make it go away. And so I've pointed to how in meditation, skillful meditation involves a mix of doing and not doing. And in the uh, guidance today, invited each of us to see, are, are my tendencies to be too tight or to be too loose? And it may vary at different times, but most of us have characteristic uh, tendencies or styles. My tendency And maybe the reason I'm giving this talk in general is that I've been a doer. Anyone else been a doer? And, you know, and as as I've mentioned many times, we get often rewarded for doing. You know, oh, you, you did school, you did this very well, and we can get rewards. And again, doing is significant, but sometimes it can block out the possibility of being receptive or being open. And so we also uh, saw how this is also descriptive of the nature of mindfulness, that mindfulness has its active dimension and its receptive dimension. The active dimension is connecting with the primary focus over and over again, coming back, noticing what's happening, naming, Oh, there's planning, there's remembering, oh, there's anger. All of this has an active dimension and is very, very crucial. But there's also the receptive aspect of which involves letting go of a certain amount of doing and just receiving what's occurring. It could be being with the sunset and just letting the visual stimuli be there without trying to control it and maybe without needing to remember it or capture it or take a photo or whatever, just that purely receptive dimension. I like the metaphor that I heard from my colleague uh, Gil Fronsdale. He said in mindfulness, we, it's like, uh, it's like uh, canoeing or kayaking. We paddle, that's the active dimension, but we also float, that's the receptive dimension. And both are crucial. And so we, we saw that. And we also noticed that we can explore those tendencies to be a doer. And I hope that uh, many of us were exploring this in daily life, that I can see when I get consumed with doing, when I'm in, you know, we've named some of the ways that we can be caught 
in a kind of doing. Uh, it can manifest by uh, not feeling comfortable unless we're busy, sometimes by being overly busy, by getting nervous when there's nothing to do, right? Having anxiety come up on a day that's not structured. Uh, being on vacation when there's nothing to do, if that's your experience, and getting a little bit confused because I've always been a doer. Anyone relate to some of these in your own experience? I've seen these, yeah. And so part of the invitation was to explore the nature of the doer. Sometimes it's also, oh, if I do, 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 I can, I'll have some time to relax. You know, I'll do, 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 and then I have a time of not doing. So sometimes we, it also involves the element of time, of the future. You know, a, a lot of work is set up in this way. We work hard and then we can't wait for the weekend, if that's our structure. Or we work all our lives and we can't wait for retirement. But then so many people, when they retire, feel nervous because they're not doing as they have all their lives. Right? So we can start to see how the structure of the doer is very linked with time and also with the nature of the self. So it actually can be a very uh, powerful inquiry to look into the nature of the doer and to see what we find, see how it's connected with uh, the structures of, of time, see how it's connected with maybe our early conditioning when we were kids to, uh, to do things well or to get to this standard or to know that if we do things in a certain way, we'll be rewarded. And so all of that is something that we can, can explore. And so we've looked at that and the encouragement was to do one's own inquiry, so to speak. And there there's, uh, can be a certain amount of humor, you know, do your inquiry into doing, <laughs> right? So, yeah. Uh, so the language is, can, be, can be funny. And so I also then wanted to point to, in more depth than I have so far, to this possibility of having our doing come out of a kind of deeper non-doing. And I'm going to look at this in two ways. One of them is in more ordinary experiences that we have. And the second is coming out of particular approaches in uh, spiritual traditions. Uh, Is there a kind of doing which is different from our ordinary doing, which comes out of maybe dimensions of receptivity and of not our ordinary doing, maybe coming out of a more uh, more letting go, some, something that's, that's deeper. And I have pointed to uh, some ways that we can experience this. And I think it's a very uh, common experience that we can experience this sense of um, uh, a different kind of doing in what we sometimes call a flow experience. Many of you know the work of the Hungarian psychologist uh, Mahali Csikszentmihalyi, who developed the concept of flow. 
he said that uh, when there's a flow experience, the, a person is performing activity fully immersed with energized focus, full involvement, and enjoyment of the process of the activity. Flow is characterized by complete absorption in what one does. And so you can think about times when you've been in that kind of flow experience. You know, that uh, maybe it's been in hiking or physical activity or being with people close to you or in um, art or, or music. Um, maybe write in the chat, right, maybe right now, we can open up the chat, Tolan. Write down just a, a phrase for some of the ways that you may have experienced flow. Why don't we do that right now and we'll read a few of them. When have you have experienced something like flow? Go ahead and read them, uh, Tolan, if you can. Sure. Um, and remember to set, send it to everyone, not just the host. But some of them I've got uh, playing music, dancing, writing, running, when doing art, yoga, gardening, painting, while writing, making art, writing novels, working on a project, on a long, slow run, gardening with a dear friend, while playing the clarinet, while partner dancing. Um, when practicing craniosacral therapy, exercising, moving, sailing, snorkeling, um, reading a novel, horseback riding. Well, so we could have a great time uh, just taking a whole session. Maybe we should do it and share these experiences because these are probably for many of us. For how many of us are these some of our most precious experiences? some of our most valuable experiences. And interestingly, that they're characterized by some of these qualities, that full absorption, often not much of a sense of time. How many people in what you were describing uh, in those activities didn't have much sense of time? You can raise your hand. Yeah, so that's very common. Often not much of a sense of self. How many people experience like you didn't have self-consciousness or much sense of self? And so this is something really to, I think, become more attentive to. We can also invite these experiences. I think some of the practices we're doing are ways of inviting these experiences, both in meditation and in, in daily life. And they are quite precious. They take us into deeper territory, and but yet we're... We're also, in a sense, doing something, but it's a different kind of doing. I mentioned last time how uh, there have been studies, and I mentioned studies by uh, Hubert and Stuart Dreyfus, who did studies of so-called experts. People who were in various fields were experts in their area. And they did a study, and they found that the experts, the... Uh, Activity would be, uh, there wouldn't be a lot of thinking. There would be a kind of, often a full absorption. A lot of what would be done was, would be deeply intuitive, kind of not much sense of time. A lot of what we described. 
And they found this to be characteristic of people who basically who really knew what they were doing, which is all of us in certain activities, right? And so that, uh, that, that doing can have that quality. So I'm mentioning this partly to um, invite us to be more attentive to these and note them. You know, we don't want to become too self-conscious because then that kind of messes it up, right? But we can uh, maybe notice it after the fact and invite it maybe, maybe more often. Uh, I, I quoted from the book last time, uh, from a friend of mine called Playing in the Zone, which is a book called Exploring the Spiritual Dimensions of Sports. He makes use of the sense of flow. And that's a very, very common experience in sports. It's called being in the zone. And I quoted uh, last time from the uh, basketball player Bill Russell from San Francisco originally. And he said that uh, characteristic of uh, the experience of athletes being in the zone were these qualities, profound joy, acute intuition, which sometimes felt like precognition, a feeling of effortlessness in the midst, in the midst of intense exertion, a sense of the action taking place in slow motion, feelings of awe and perfection, increased mastery and self-transcendence. And I thought I'd read uh, one another account from this book. This is from uh, this is from the book uh, the tennis uh, the tennis player Billie Jean King. She said she calls it uh, yeah she talks about this. It's a perfect combination of action taking place in an atmosphere of total tranquility. When it happens, I want to stop the match and grab the microphone and shout, that's what it's all about. Because it is. It's not the big prize I'm going to win at the end of the match or anything else. It's just having done something that's totally pure and have experienced the perfect emotion. And I'm always sad that I can't communicate that feeling right at the moment it's happening. I can only hope people realize what's going on. So very common in sports, in art. Um, uh, this is from Picasso, I think, pointing to this. He says, art washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life. Whoa. <laughs> and this is, from, this is from John Coltrane, the great jazz musician. All a musician can do is to get closer to the sources of nature and so feel that one is in communion with the natural laws. That's again, so this is getting into a profound territory. And I, I mentioned the story, I come from a musical family and my mom told the story of being seven years old and being asked to uh, play the piano in her piano class and do a kind of recital and she was nervous. And, and she said, uh, the teacher said, don't think about yourself, just let yourself be taken over by the music. And she said, seven years old, okay. <laughs> and she did it. And then she told me later, she, when I was talking about this, she said, uh, uh, you know, in giving a concert, if there's a sense of self or of how one's doing, it's not good. You have to let yourself be taken over by the music, right? So that's another, another version of this.
Um, and so in spiritual traditions, I think something close to this is also being expressed. It's being said that can one's doing come out of a more profound dimension of being? And that's what's talked about. That's what we've looked at some, expressed sometimes in the uh, Taoist tradition, sometimes in Buddhist tradition, sometimes in other traditions. And I think a very simple way of saying this, and I think we'll explore this some in our meditation, is that the most profound parts of our being, the deeper parts of our being, actually are simply there and are not produced by our doing. So we can talk about love or awareness, a deep awareness, maybe even our wisdom. And we can say at their deepest dimensions, these are not something that we perform or that we cause, but they're actually the essence of our being. And so a lot of our spiritual practice is more of an uncovering to get to what's actually in our depths rather than acting to produce these states. Can you produce love by acting? Not really. Can you do some skillful things that open up the territory? Yes. Right? And so, again, there's a balance of doing and not doing, but at the deeper levels, it's more a not doing because the deeper states aren't produced. They're not part of the cause and effect relationship related to action. That's actually a very simple way. I hope that's simple. Was that simple? Was that simple enough? I think that's a pretty simple way of talking about it. And I think that can, that can help us. So I'll mention a few other traditions. And interestingly, the deeper, these deeper qualities also are often expressed as timeless and beyond the ordinary self. Isn't that interesting? Very similar to those experiences of flow. And I think the experiences of flow kind of open us up further towards these deeper experiences. So here are just a few examples of this from different traditions. And then, you know, in a moment, I'll take us on another guided meditation to explore the, the territory further. So this is from the Hebrew Bible. Thus saith the Lord God, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quiet and confidence shall be your strength. This is from Isaiah thirty, fifteen. This is uh, the teachings of Jesus often went in this direction as well. I'll just maybe give one passage. I am the vine, ye are the branches. One that abideth in me, and I in that one, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Also said, 
I do nothing of myself. This was, that was Jesus. And then um, probably the tradition which expresses this most clearly is the Taoist tradition, particularly the writings of uh, Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu, uh, both from over 2,000 years ago. And they talk about the quality of Wu Wei, translated often as non-action or non-exertion or effortless action. And this is, uh, this is right at the center. And again, it's very connected with the deeper qualities. So a few passages from these traditions. This is from Lao Tzu. By doing nothing, everything is done. One who conquers the world often does so by doing nothing. When one is compelled to do something, the world is already beyond the conquering. And here are, here are a few other ones from, from uh, Chuang Tzu. If someone is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with one's own boat, even though that person is bad-tempered, that person will not become very angry. But if the person sees a, uh, another one, another person in the boat, the person will shout to steer clear. If the shout is not heard, they'll be shouting again, yet, and yet again, and then cursing, all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet if the boat were empty, that person would not be shouting and not angry. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you. No one will seek to harm you. Here's another one. I'll just read these two lines. The non-action of the wise person is not inaction. It's really pointing to this deeper quality of action. The non-action of the wise person is not inaction. It is not studied. It is not shaken by anything. And then maybe one last uh, passage. This is, uh, these are from, I'm reading from uh, the Thomas Merton translation called The Way of Chuang Tzu, which is a beautiful little book. This is a, a story. This is the story called When Knowledge Went North. So this is not ordinary writing, so you have to listen for the poetry and the paradox. When knowledge went north. Knowledge wandered north, looking for Tao, the, over the dark sea, up the invisible mountain. There on the mountain, knowledge met non-doing, the speechless one. Knowledge inquired, please, please inform me. By what system of thought and one technique of meditation can I apprehend the Tao? And you know what the answer is going to be, of course. You don't get there by techniques of meditation, right? By what technique of meditation can I apprehend the Tao? By what renunciation or what solitary retirement may I rest in the Tao? Where must I start? What road must I follow to reach Tao? Such were Knowledge is three questions. Non-doing, the speechless one, made no reply. Not only that, non-doing did not even know 
how to reply. Does that clarify everything? <laughs> okay. Um, and I wanted to give some examples also from, this is also comes out in the teachings of the Buddha and other Buddhist traditions, but I wanted to read a little bit from a book. Some of you may know, how many people have heard of a, a Tibetan teacher, probably about, I don't know, about 50 years old now, named Mingyur Rinpoche. Um, this is a picture of him. This is a recent book called In Love with the World. And he describes his own four-year retreat that he took starting, I don't know, about seven or eight years ago. He was um, uh, a teacher who was brought up. His father was a famous teacher. So he's kind of brought up, we might say, in somewhat privileged environment and always had people waiting on him, was seen to be a great teacher and so forth. And he, at a certain point, wanted to get away from all that, to kind of explore a deeper understanding that would come out of, of um, his being. And he wanted to get away from his ordinary doing. And so he went on a four-year retreat uh, where he, it wasn't a, a retreat where he went to a retreat center. He just did wandering. He wandered and he, and he wanted to have no one know who he was. And that actually happened. I actually did a one-month retreat in the usual way with him several months before he went on retreat. And I, I was talking with him, and I asked him, what are, you, what's, what are your intentions on your retreat? And he said, I want to get lost. <laughs> right? And, he, and so he, was, he went into India, and he just, uh, the book is, the book In Love with the World is the story of his four-year retreat. So it can be a very inspiring book. And he went on this retreat. I thought I'd just read a little bit from the beginning where he talks about this, because I think he was basically trying to get out of ordinary doing and through just being and wandering and not being special and, uh, you know, going to train stations and wandering around where no one knew him, he wanted his deeper understanding to come out of that. Very interesting. And so this is from, you know, I wanted to explore the deepest depths of who I really was out in the world, anonymous and alone. I wanted to test my own capacities in new and challenging situations. If I can truly disrupt my established routines, find my own edge, and then keep going, let's see what happens to my recognition of the deeper awareness. Let's see what happens to patience and discipline when no one is watching, when no one even knows who I am, when perhaps I don't even know who I am. And the book is a, a story of that. It's very, very interesting, and it was not easy. If you read the book, you would find that he had a lot of very difficult experiences. In fact, at one point, he nearly died. But he, I think he uh, brought out that deep, that deeper awareness and his deeper understanding came out of this experience in various ways. Maybe just I'll read one or two more passages and then we'll, we'll go into our guided practice. Here are two more passages, maybe three more from the Tibetan tradition. 
Freedom is not due to effort. Rather, one abides timelessly in freedom. And again, we probably want to modify that and say, at a certain point, freedom is not due to effort. But again, effort and doing is very important, but at some point, one lets go of the ordinary doing. And this is a description from a, a Tibetan teacher called Dagbo Tashi Namgal from the 16th century of what he calls the natural state, which I think is close to this flow experience. Open like the sky, pervasive like the earth, unshakable like a mountain, shining like a flame, lucid like a crystal. And the last one, and this is from the, actually from the uh, Indian tradition, from Talopa. In one's early practice, the mind is like a stream rushing through a gorge. Anyone have that experience? Mind is rushing through a gorge. In the early practice, the mind is like a stream rushing through a gorge. In the middle, the mind is like the river Ganges flowing along gently. At the end, the mind is like the rivers joining the ocean, like the reunion of daughters with their mother. So that can point to a quality that, that the, this, this way of doing that comes out of being, we might say, comes out of a deeper quality that we know from a number of our own experiences can also be something we explore in meditation. And for about the next, uh, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes, I want to invite a guided meditation in which I'll take us into exploring some of this territory uh, going beyond what we did earlier in the meditation. So if you need to stand up or stretch for 30 seconds or a minute, please do that because we'll be sitting again uh, in the meditation for about 15 or 20 minutes. So do what you need to do. And in fact, it'd be fine if you want to uh, stand up. You can do that if you wish, or sit, or lie down if that's necessary. So start again just with settling. Word of number of words, the mind might be active. Work with your primary focus, whatever that is. We'll do and I'll just uh, let us do that without me doing any guidance for a number of minutes, maybe four or five minutes. Just bring your mind to settling, and this may involve some doing. So come back to being present, being settled, be with your primary focus, notice when your mind wanders, come back over and over again.
If something comes up and brings your attention away from the primary focus, as we did before, let that be noticed. If it lasts for a while, let yourself open to that experience receptively. If it's body sensation or series of body sensations or sounds, balancing the doing of coming back with the receptivity. Noticing that as we come back to the primary focus and as we are receptive with what comes up, there's still a kind of a tracking going on, very important in our practice. We could say there's a meditative doer who is tracking things, sometimes more actively, sometimes more receptively, but there's still a tracking. There's still a doer there which is very important at certain points in our practice. And notice if you are wondering at times, how am I doing? Noticing those thoughts. Also noticing any reactivity of any kind. Noticing, typically we let go. Grasping onto the pleasant, pushing away what's unpleasant, unpleasant in the body or thought or emotions. Just noticing any reactive tendencies, increasingly, for most of us, letting go. 
Now let me invite going yet further, opening up to a kind of choiceless awareness with whatever is occurring. We let go of the primary focus and we just are aware of whatever becomes predominant, very much like that, like in that image of the river. We're sitting, the river is right in front, and different things come down the river. All we do is we notice what comes down. We don't choose what we're focusing on anymore. We've let go of choice. We have a kind of choiceless awareness, just being aware of the flow. We're still tracking what's going on. We're still noticing, but we've let go of any choice about what appears. See if you can do that for about the next two or three minutes. Just being with the flow of experience, whatever occurs. Now continuing to be with that flow, with what we might call choiceless awareness, tracking what's right in front of you, now if it's possible, let go of any conceptualization about what's appearing in front of you. See if you can come down to a kind of raw sense datum, kind of raw experience, whatever it is, sensation or thought, inviting a letting go of conceptualization. And sometimes that will be there, sometimes there'll still be conceptualization, which is fine, but have the intention to let go. Just stay with this for another minute or two.
And now as you stay with the flow of experience, again, imagining as if you're noticing what comes before you in the river of experience. Now the invitation is to let go of the tracking of the knowing. So now things are happening, but you're not trying to notice them. Stay with that. Not trying to do anything now, not even to track, not even to be mindful. And now we'll, we'll, in a similar way, invite a kind of non-doing. Do this in a way that we did last time. That is, I'll clap. And when I clap, let go of everything, but stay aware of what your experience is. Earlier, we let go of tracking. This is similar. Let go of everything when I clap, but stay aware. One, two, three. I'll do it one more time. See if there can be a kind of awareness that is a non-doing. One, two, Do it one more time. One, two, three. See if you can rest in awareness. 
open like the sky, pervasive like the earth, unshakable like a mountain, shining like a flame, lucid like a crystal. And we'll do one more related practice, which is this time I will clap. See if you can go into that sense of awareness without doing. And then in a moment, after we go there, I'll invite you to move your hand, move your arm, and see if you can have the movement come out of non-doing come out of that quality of awareness. This is an experiment, okay? It's, it's a very simple. We're starting to bring this awareness into a kind of doing which comes out of non-doing. So this will be an experiment. Okay, one, two, three. Let go. And then still feeling maybe that sense of awareness, letting go. Move your hand. Have a kind of doing. See if you can move your arm coming out of the non-doing. Move in a different way than usual. Just experiment. Now come back just to being present. You can bring back your more ordinary sense of self, if you wish, just being with the body, being with the breath. And reflect for a minute or two on what you might have noticed or explored in the guided meditation. Did you get to a place where there wasn't much doing? If so, was there also less of a sense of time, less of a sense of self. Just take a reflection for a minute or two about what you might have noticed or explored.
And also reflect whether there's anything you'd like to share or to ask after I ring the bell in a moment. Anything you want to share, ask about, either from the guided meditation or the talk, or what we even did earlier. So thank you very much for exploring this territory with me. How many, how many have some interesting insights or experiences related to our theme of doing and not doing? How many had some, something that seemed quite interesting? Great. Um, anyone like to share or um, ask a question? Yeah, I see uh, Sasha. Yeah, uh, looks like I see three people, um, maybe Victoria, and then Sasha, and then Bonnie. Well, I see, yeah, and then Charles Lee, okay. Uh, please, Victoria. Okay. Am I unmuted now? You're okay, yeah. Sorry, we were going back and forth. <laughs> you were unmuting me, and then I was unmuting. Um, I had a really um, strange experience that when you clapped, I found myself holding my breath. Mm. And um, it was really strange because I, I felt like I was um, like ready to sink into the awareness, but then um, somehow the clap like triggered me holding my breath, and then I became aware of that, and then I tried to breathe, but then it was like a, you know, went into a real doing experience. But I just wondered, it, it felt like a very automatic reaction, like a conditioned reaction almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, yeah, how many, let me go to gallery view, how many people had something similar occur, a little bit of a reaction to the clapping? Yeah. I'm not sure if it was because I was too close to my microphone or what, but I think that, um, yeah, that's understandable that it could be just some habitual way of reacting to that. So what you could do if you do this on your own, do it in a different way. Maybe like if you want to just, because it's basically just giving a signal to let go. And so mm -hmm. another way to do that would be maybe just uh, hold your hands together and if you do this on your own, or if you go back to our recording and want to do it, just uh, try to uh, uh, not have the clapping, but just maybe press your hands together. Feel mm. some pressure. You have some kind of signal that lets you know to let go, but it sounds like for you the, uh, uh, the actual clapping isn't working, which is fine. Yeah, maybe it, maybe, maybe it felt like a, well, you said let go and then clapped, and maybe it, maybe like my conditioned self felt that as a kind of command, and then I was like right. in 
obe- obedience mode. <laughs> right. Something. Or something like like a dog or something. I don't know. It was interesting anyway. Thank something you. Something like that. So use some other uh, cue, as it were, that that just is not not problematic for you. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Great. Looks like uh, we have. Let's see, uh, Sasha, please, and then uh, Charles Lee. Yeah. Uh, so, for me, the clapping was was really useful, and the whole talk and the whole exercise was really, really rich. And I wanted to say that, um, well, one is we could just keep going. From my perspective, we could just keep going on this topic, and you could say the same thing over and over again <laughs> for a couple of years, and we could just keep doing this thing that you just did of the guided meditation, like. I could do that for a long time and it would really be supportive for my practice. And what I, but what I wanted to say most of all was that during the whole morning, I've been listening and, and um, kind of having this question of like, well, these states of um, non-doing deeper awareness are so much more accessible to me when I have more practice space than I have in my life now. And Mm -hmm. before I, before I had my daughter, I was able to do a lot of retreats. And so a lot of the, a lot of what you've been talking about, I'm relating it to like the, the state of mind that sort of sets in when there's been a lot of practice. Yeah. yeah. And, but what I was thinking was like, but I don't have that. I can't do that anymore. I've got a little kid. I can't go on long retreats and I barely get to do my practice. But then in this little, exercise that we just did it was proven that you don't actually have to have a week-long retreat to be able to access that state of mind like the the guided the guided meditation that we just did totally supported that and I was just completely surprised and wanted to share that yeah thank you Sasha um that's interesting isn't it sometimes the guided meditations can help but I've also been surprised sometimes by seeing in the right context, one can access quite deep states without needing to be on retreat, you know, in, in a certain context, uh, you know, and even, even, even on Zoom, some of it sometimes the required, it seemed in the past, I would have said that the kind of the group energy was very important, but here, here is a kind of group energy where we're doing it on, on Zoom. So it's interesting. So you could work with the guided meditation, either guide yourself or work with the recording. And the other thing would just be to tune into like flow experiences just on your everyday and that know that you can access this in those experiences. And I think it's very positive that, yeah, because we sometimes think, oh, you know, uh, I, I have this uh, 18 year old, 18 year retreat called having a child. right and uh you know i can't go to deep states anymore you know or whatever whatever one thinks but that's i think it's very encouraging to to hear you yeah and um yeah because that's what one would you know from a from one perspective it's just i think your earlier practice would help you in a way to let go more uh, quite quickly yeah yeah thank you uh, Charles Lee, please. 
There we go. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you for a wonderful, wonderful teaching and, and guidance. You're welcome. Really yeah. took me took me back to my uh, a childhood. I played um, kind of. My parents signed me up for every sport they could possibly find to keep me busy, uh, uh, and that was one of the joys of, 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 of childhood was. Uh, uh, playing sports and having those flow experiences. And uh, uh, I guess um, uh, my question is, uh, I know, you know, you can't, you know, say, may I have a flow experience right now? You know, that now would be a great time. I've got, you know, 10 minutes before my son gets out of school. Yeah. Um, but how, how do those experiences kind of, you know, through causes and conditions, how do you think they, they, they arise? Um, without a, a doer. I remember being a kid and I still have a hard time speaking or thinking in a passive voice because I was told by my grammar teachers that yeah. that's not how you write, um, which I'm realizing I think is a cultural conditioning yeah. um, that yeah. may not actually be completely true. But yeah, that's my question. Thanks. Yeah, how to, how to access it. I think some of it is like, you, I think the examples you're giving, think of what the factors were that helped this experience of sports to be flow experiences. One is that you didn't have to think about time. You probably were, didn't, you know, you were at a, a, a certain level of mastery that you didn't have to worry about your performance, right? I would imagine, you know, that, that's my experience because I did the same thing. I, I did sports like virtually full time from, you know, when I wasn't doing schoolwork. <laughs> And um, so think of some of the factors. And then I would say it also comes in situations where there is a certain level of mastery, lack of self-consciousness. And so you could um, kind of deliberately go to one of those experiences, whatever it might be. It could be anything on a, you know everyday level. It could be uh, cooking, writing, uh, uh, dancing. Uh, playing sports or something, could be meditating. So that's one thing, would it just be maybe to invite it. And a lot, I think a lot of the times we're in those experiences, but we don't actually know that we are, or we don't notice. It's just ordinary. The other thing would be meditatively, if some of those, what we just did, worked for you, you might, that sequence we did was brief. That was about, that was about 20 minutes of meditation. So you could work with a guided meditation, give some, give yourself a guidance like that. You know, we have a recording of what we just did. And find something that uh, cues you to go there, you know, I would say, and see what works. And sometimes, you know, um, like what I learned from some of the Tibetan teachers is that when you get there in meditation, sometimes or initially you're, you can get there and you just stay there for five seconds or 10 seconds or 15 seconds and not to try to hold on to it or make it last, right? That's a kind of a doing. And so be content if you're doing it in a meditative way like we did, just with 15 seconds. And they said if you do that 15 seconds many times a day, and this is my experience, the stability of that state grows. And so it gets to be, uh, you do that 
15 times a day for 15 seconds, and then after six months, you know, maybe it lasts for a minute rather than 15 seconds, and then it, and then it can grow. So those are a few ideas. And I always say trust your own creativity also because you'll have ideas as well and explore and come back and share what you find. <laughs> Thank you. Let's see, I think we had... Uh, I had mentioned Bonnie. Bonnie, did you still have one? I don't know if you were in the queue. Is there anyone else who, who wanted to share? I think we have time for maybe one more. Let's see, okay. So as a question, sounds, sounds like jhana practice? Is that a, um, there are aspects which can be similar. There has to be a kind of letting go, but there sometimes can be a lot of doing with jhana practice, like really staying with the object. So it's a little bit different generally. That's a short answer. <laughs> there could be a longer one. Okay. Okay. Uh, great. So I'm not seeing, do we have anything, Toland, in the uh, other, any questions in the chat? Um, I am not seeing, yeah, no questions in the chat, just reflections and thank yous and um, that sort of thing. So uh, I don't see any questions. Great. So let me let me just ask. I have a, I have a question that came up. Sasha said, "Would we be okay with doing this for uh, the rest of the decade? Perhaps uh, how many might like to continue this territory next time?" Okay. So I'm getting okay. That's almost everyone on my screen. So so the invitation. Then we'll close with. Uh, oh, I see Bonnie now. Did you have if, if you can. Ask your question. Maybe have it be brief because we're at the end of the time. Do you want to ask your question or comment or share? Uh, I'll save it for next time. Uh, thank you. Okay. Um, Thanks, Bonnie. And also, I see Jan. Let's. Can, Jan, are you okay waiting for next time? Okay. Um, so I'll write down Bonnie and Jan for next time. Okay. So we have a week. I'll be. I'll, I didn't mention that I'll be back next week. So let's let's take a have just a, a short moment to reflect on how you'd like to continue to explore this territory in the next week. Maybe both in daily life and in um, formal meditation. I'll just mention one tip that I, that's maybe implicit in what we were doing, but not, I wasn't explicit. Something we can sometimes do is just invite, you know, just uh, in a given moment, invite non-doing. Just, okay, let me invite, let me drop doing. And sometimes you can actually feel it energetically in the body. 
just some, some letting go. Let me let go of doing like that. You can try that as a technique also. And then we'll close with the uh, dedication of merit. May, may our practice in our morning, our session be beneficial to us, be beneficial to those in our lives. And then be beneficial beyond our own circles to all beings, to all places in our world, to all beings whatsoever. And particularly where there is difficulty, where there is pain. May we feel connected in our practice to those beings, those places. May our time together be a benefit to all beings, which includes us. So thank you so much, everyone. I'll post the recording of both of our, both the early guided practice, the talk and the later guided practice. I'll post that today. So that'll be up if you want to, uh, if you want to use it. And uh, otherwise, thank you for, thank you for this uh, shared journey to explore this territory. I appreciate it. So I'll say till next time. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye everyone. And you can stay on if you want and unmute and say hi, goodbye, whatever you'd like to say. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, Tolan. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Audrey. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tolan. We, thank you so much, Tolan. We, we have to good bring comment. in my thanks to you earlier. Uh, but thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Till next time. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.